0: We got big news breaking in Northeast Ohio, just as we set to record the new episode of Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, I am here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. Let's get to the big news. We've talked often this year about the big investment Intel is making near Columbus. Now we've got a huge investment being made in Northeast Ohio of a more old fashioned technology, but not really lisa what's it all about
1: this is exciting yeah the automaker ford is going to spend 1.5 billion dollars on its ohio assembly plant in the avon lake area and this would be an expansion of the plant to build um, all electric commercial vehicles and they hope to have these vehicles ready rolling off the line in the next couple years about mid-decade this will create 1800 new jobs at the ohio assembly plant and this is also part of uh of a big investment that Ford is making across Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri. They're spending over $3.7 billion to expand their plants and work towards electric vehicles. And the state of Ohio is providing $200 million in incentives to Ford to get this going. We'll have more details uh, in tomorrow's podcast because there is a press conference being held today.
0: This comes a day after Ford executives talked about what they see as the future of the electric vehicle market. They see a coming price war at a $25,000 price point. Right now, they say the batteries are the big expense, but the prices of that are coming down and major improvements in aerodynamics is going to reduce the need for the size of the battery. Surely, this, this investment is part of that. They're going to build a vehicle here that will be part of that price war. So it's huge news. It's a a large investment of cash and and a whole lot of jobs that'll be providing money into our Northeast Ohio economy.
1: And they're also investing a hundred million dollars elsewhere in Ohio. There's a Sharonville transmission plant and I don't know if it's Lima or Lima, I never know which way it is, but in Lima there's an engine plant so they're gonna be spending money there and that'll create uh, another 90 jobs in Ohio.
0: Great news to end the week. It's today in Ohio. What does the just-released timeline show involving Jim Jordan's collaboration with the Trump White House in the attempt to overturn the election of Joe Biden as president? Laura, Jim Jordan had a heavy hand in basically trying to throw out the entire democracy of this country.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He still doesn't want to be subpoenaed to testify about it. But the committee still put out a timeline of what it can tell is what Jordan's interactions with President Trump were Uh, starting November 6th. This was the day before the election was called for Joe Biden jordan requested a call with then attorney general william barr he communicated with the chief of staff mark meadows he wanted to, efforts to pressure pennsylvania governor tom wolf to audit the state election results and these go every couple of days november 9th november 14th then de- december 21st he was meeting with trump vice president pence the legal team and ledger- legislators about a planning, planning and legal strategy for challenging the electoral certification so he was just like moving trying to get all of, you know, trying to basically keep Trump as president in whatever way they could. And obviously this came to a head on January 6th, where the timeline says Jordan spoke to Trump for 10 minutes at 9 24 a.m. And at least once after congressional leaders were evacuated from the Capitol.
0: You know, people should not forget that this was not an attempt to get to the truth. This no. was an attempt to maintain somebody as president who the voters did not want as president. This was a subversion of the government by an elected government leader, an Ohio elected government leader. And he really is in the crosshairs of the January 6th commission. He had a big role in the strategizing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was telling Meadows that Pence should call out all the electoral votes he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. So this was the plotting of trying to you know, get the electoral college to act in a way other than what voters had wanted. Right. And uh, the committee's asking Jordan to clarify his past statements, which they call inconsistent, because he says that he claimed that he never said the election was stolen, despite numerous public statements. To the contrary, obviously, it, when he testifies, because I believe he's going to have to, they're going to be grilling him.
0: Yeah, And this is a guy who's made regular appearances on Fox News, which continues to perpetuate the fiction about Donald Trump being reelected. It's a frightening moment. We've never seen anything like this in America where the elected leaders are trying to destroy our democracy. And he's chief among them. I can't wait to see what the testimony is like. The hearings in June are going to be riveting. You're listening to Today in Ohio. For months, we've seen warnings about putting mail into the iconic blue mailboxes around the region because they've been the subject of repeated thefts. We've also been talking about Dodge Chargers doing donuts in regular street intersections and blocking traffic. Sounds like law enforcement authorities, Lisa, have solved both, and they're related. This is the most fascinating story of the week so far.
1: Yeah this sounds like a TV movie of the week script. Uh, Feds arrested four Cleveland area men Tuesday on charges of robbery, mail theft, and transporting stolen cars across state lines. This was like a $2.7 million crime ring. So uh, there was a 20-year-old Devin Rice of Cleveland was arrested. Uh, Lavelle Jones, an 18-year-old from Cleveland. Jalen Harris has not been arrested yet but they're out looking for him. And then a Cleveland Heights man, a 20-year-old Old Hakeem Benjamin were all charged in U.S. District Magistrate Jonathan Greenberg's court. Uh, three of the four are in custody, and they will have a, they will stay there until a hearing uh, on June sixth. So they are charged in the theft of several U.S. Postal Service mailbox keys. Uh, two of them were stolen at gunpoint from postal workers. One of them was uh, in January at East 79th in Euclid, and the other postal worker was held up January 31st in in Shaker Heights. Um, so apparently Rice was the the ringleader, uh, allegedly. He says that he bought the key for $1,000 from a postal worker. But what they did was they stole mail. They used the info from checks they got in that mail to empty other people's bank accounts. And then they created new accounts. They actually recruited people on social media to open new accounts so they could funnel this money out of real accounts into fraudulent ones. And uh, they used a special computer to make fake checks and uh, yeah it's just an amazing story and they discovered that this same group of guys was allegedly responsible for for dozens of Dodges and Jeeps stolen in the Cleveland, Michigan area. They used a device called a ProPad that they can plug into a vehicle. It obtains data on the car key fobs. They can make copies of those fobs and then steal these cars. And so they were selling them. So they were stealing them in Michigan and selling them in Ohio and stealing them in Ohio and selling them in Michigan. So And there were also... uh, you know, cars involved in Indianapolis and Chicago, but they were selling them at a big loss. I mean, Dodge Chargers are $50,000 and more. They were selling these cars for about 3500 to $15,000 a piece. They were also stashing them all around Northeast Ohio.
0: What well, the scariest part of this for me is that all they needed was a copy of your check to basically empty your account. Right. I mean, it, it, it seems like I, I raised the question this morning with the the editors is is this the end of checks because every time you pay somebody with a check you're exposing the numbers that somebody could then use to drain your entire bank account and and it just it, it it seems like that's that's the end of it who would want to pay anybody with a check now
1: well and I still pay by check by mail I mean I know I'm old-fashioned but yeah after I read about the thefts you know months ago I stopped putting them in the drive-up mailboxes and some of the mail the post offices around me had them taped over so I'm still walking into the post office to mail my checks because I've read plenty of stories of people have been ripped off for thousands of dollars because of this
0: I don't know. It just seems like it's one of the riskiest things now is to write a check. I was stunned by the amount of money. You know, we've been reporting on the theft from mailboxes and all of the warnings pretty much this entire year. I had no idea the level of money they were, were getting. I mean, eventually, when all the details come out, there's going to be one hell of a yarn Uh, to to tell about how they came together and how they plotted and what they did. And way to go, the law enforcement authorities, in figuring it out and catching them. It's today in Ohio. Why is Ohio always so darned slow? The Ohio legislature and Mike DeWine approved sports betting late last year, but we're not going to be able to do it in this calendar year. Layla, the, the skeptic in me makes it think that somebody is putting their values, some anti-gambling government leader <laughs> is getting involved just the same way they slow-walked medical marijuana after that was approved. We're going to do a story that examines if we're the slowest state in the country to go from approval to gambling. What's behind this decision?
3: That's a good story idea. (laughs) You're right. The start date isn't going to be until January 1st, which means missing the regular season games for college and professional football, the largest sports betting market in the U.S. The Ohio Casino Control, Control Commission is claiming that they need all that time to pull off what they say amounts to the largest expansion of gaming in Ohio's history and the largest ever simultaneous launch of sports gaming in the United States. They say they have due diligence investigations and compliance examinations to complete of about 3,000 licensees before January 1st. January 1st is the deadline that the legislature set for the commission to get the program operational. Applications for licenses were made available on Wednesday. So this really does kind of They're taking all the time, every minute until that deadline to do it. The state's already missed out, like you said, on millions and millions of dollars by being late to this party. But, you know, I don't know, on the bright side... This will be up and running just in time for the Browns Super Bowl <laughs> appearance, right?
0: You know, that was my big joke for the yeah. episode. If I were Nan Bailey, I think I would start to <laughs> to make my campaign in which I would have a caricature of Mike DeWine as a snail. You know, he was slow on the vaccine.
3: Did you say caricature?
0: Uh, uh, yeah, you know the the. Caricature. Yeah, whatever. Caricature. All right, all right. <laughs> you know, he was slow on the vaccine. He was slow on figuring out still slow on figuring out what was wrong with unemployment. The rollout of gambling is taking forever. They don't move with alacrity on anything in this administration. This True. is ridiculous. They, they signed the bill. Why does it take so long to get this running? I mean, think about it we as a a world came up with a completely new and revolutionary vaccine for a previously unknown virus and got it to the masses in less time than it's taking ohio to get sports gambling (laughs) up and running it doesn't make any sense so we need to ask more questions
3: and and arming teachers which we'll get to shortly that's happening in minutes. Like in minutes, right? They did that yes. overnight. It just, They're handing those out as we speak, I think, yeah, just, <laughs> at the schoolhouse I stores. I think this
0: is somebody forcing their religious values, gambling is a uh, sin, down the throats <laughs> of the population, and that's not what government's supposed to do. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Rob Portman continues to stand on the sidelines, Mr. Spine, but lots of others have been getting on the Steve Dettelbach bandwagon. Who's the latest to support his nomination to head up ATF? Laura?
2: Well, this is a whole bunch of people who s- submitted letters that were released by the White House this week, um, mostly from Ohio, and, and folks who had worked with Dettelbach when he was the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Ohio during <clears throat> Barack Obama's presidency. <clears throat> Sorry. Cuyahoga Metropolitan Housing Authority Police Chief Andre Gonzalez applauded his work. He said he brought people together to improve the quality of life in the communities. A retired captain from the Cleveland Division of Police and the past president of the FOP, that's Brian Bentley, he gave, he said Dettelbeck um, gave the necessary knowledge and leadership to lead the agency in the right direction. You, you had the retired Summit County Sheriff Steve Barry. He described Edelbeck as a true team player, committed to safer communities for citizens. And Marion, Ohio, Police Chief Jay McDonald applauded his work. But you also had folks, a group of faith leaders, including rabbis at the Park Synagogue and Pepper Pike. And uh, the fairmont temple and beechwood saying that he helped fight an alarming level of anti-religious violence so this is added to a huge number of endorsements he had already from folks like the national sheriff's association the federal law enforcement officers association and a, a bunch more more than 100 mayors
0: yeah and like i said our senator rob portman really getting on the bandwagon standing <laughs> by the sidelines saying yeah i don't know what i'm gonna do It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, everybody who knows Steve Dettelbeck knows he'll do an excellent job in this role. He'll carry it out professionally. But Mr. Portman wants to play politics.
2: Yeah, and I mean, he really threaded the needle last week. And we talked about it in his hearing, where he basically said he was going to enforce the gun laws passed by Congress and never let politics in any way influence his action. But um, obviously, guns are a very divisive topic right now. And... Apparently, Portman doesn't want to take a stand.
0: Yeah, well, we're not surprised by that. It's today in Ohio. We hear a lot about companies having data breaches, but it's not every company that gets sued for them and what what the, the plaintiffs seek to be a class action. What are the allegations in a civil suit pending against Parker Hannafin? Lisa?
1: Yeah, three employees of Parker Hannifin, which is a Mayfield Heights-based company, and they make motion and control technologies for mobile and aerospace. They had a data breach that they reported back in March that exposed the info of 119,513 500, 119, current and former employees. This included their social security numbers, their medical information, and their bank account information. This was carried out by a group, or a ransom group called Conti. They claimed responsibility and they published 3% of that stolen data online. They demanded ransom. Parker Hannifin refused. So the rest of the employee data was published. So three suits have been filed in federal court. Uh, one is uh, one plaintiff is from Sagamore Hills. The other plaintiffs are from New York and Connecticut. The judge must decide whether these become class action suits, but they basically said this was mismanagement of the employee inform of their employee information and how it got out. And, and there was a little bit of a delay between when the breach was discovered and when employees were uh, informed.
0: Yeah. And it was a big breach. I mean, and, and you know, we talked earlier about how if people get just your check numbers, they can scam and take away your money. Identity theft is one of the biggest fears people have these days. And Park of Hannafin sounds like it didn't move quickly enough to stop the damage.
1: Yeah. And this is very sensitive information. I mean, bank account information, that's, that's pretty bad. So yeah. And there was a two month delay between when employees alerted and when the breach was discovered.
0: Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Why are Ohio lawmakers so intent on making it easier for teachers to carry guns in the classroom? Have they spoken to any teachers? Layla, I'm married to a teacher, and I can tell you the teachers don't want guns. I mean, this is one of the the silliest Mm -hmm. things the the lawmakers in this state have ever done. We're going to make it easier for teachers to carry guns, and they clearly are not talking to the people in the classrooms.
3: Yeah, it doesn't seem that there's any evidence that teachers were widely consulted in the consideration of this bill, but they went ahead and, and did it. They fast-tracked House Bill 99, which slashes the training teachers and other staff must go through before carrying a gun on school grounds. This, this bill would require armed school staff to undergo an amount of training that's similar to what's required of armed security guards and private investigators. So that's just 25 hours of firearms training. So compare that to the 600 hours in the current law, which is also what's required of police training. Two Republicans, Senator Stephanie Kunza and Matt Dolan joined all seven present Democrats in voting against the measure. It's headed back to the House where an earlier version passed in November. House Republicans then approved the Senate changes later Wednesday evening in a party line vote, uh, 56 to 34. All right, so it went back to the House. They, they voted for it. DeWine says he plans to sign it. So it's,
0: the, it. the thing is, it, this is stupid because the teachers don't want guns. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And parents really don't want teachers to have guns. The guns in the classroom, as Laura said yesterday, not not a great idea. But, but the sinister part of this is it gives the, the false impression that they're doing something to stop the, the carnage that's happening across America. Instead of banning assault weapons or doing something that would actually matter they do this get lots and lots of lots of talk Everybody, oh they're gonna all make it easier for armed teachers with that nobody actually saying yeah no teachers want it it's not going to do anything this will not stop any shootings in schools teachers are not going to carry guns to school
3: well i i wonder how many and where when what in what districts are you going to see a proliferation of guns in, in the districts i mean this all came about after the high supreme court shot down that Butler County school district policy that allowed armed school personnel, as long as they had the concealed carry permit. And I wonder, in Butler County, was there a demand among school, you know, school personnel to carry guns? Maybe in rural places, they do want to carry guns. I don't think in, in, in our area, there is a huge demand among school staff to be carrying weapons in 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 the building
0: do you, do, you've got kids in the school do you want your teacher packing yes. while she's teaching no. them grammar <laughs> I mean, it's... no
3: i want doors locked i want security at the door and i'm satisfied with the level of security that we see i you know i i, I just um you know i mean listen the bill changes the senate approved this week include adding requirements that the initial and ongoing training curriculum includes instruction on several specific topics such as de-escalation, trauma first aid care, neutralization of potential active shooters, the fact that we're even debating whether those are skills that our educators should have. It's so painful to come to grips with the moment we find ourselves in and, and with the what political forces brought us here. I
1: almost can't talk and about it. And why do we want to <laughs> add another burden to teachers? I mean, they're already being run through the ringer on, you know, CRT and, you know, their their counselors, their mental health people. I mean, and here we are. We're giving them another responsibility that shouldn't be theirs.
0: It's it's a ridiculous answer. It's it's look, look, Ohio, we're doing something about the carnage and they're not there. It's a lie. They just should be. They should always be wearing red noses when they're voting on legislation. Laura.
2: I was just going to say I completely agree. Like when my kid was in first grade, he found a kid's EpiPen, which are supposed to be completely locked up um at a school and, you know, shot himself in the hand with it. So <gasps> what
3: what would Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I never heard wow. that story, Laura. Well, you wow. know, it's not
2: something you're, you're proud of, right? But um if, if those things, I just I just don't want to know what would happen if like the one time the key got left out or the door didn't get shut or whatever it was and i i i'm sure that teachers and administrators would be so so careful but like anything can happen and i just do not want guns in schools like period end of story well
0: way to go mike DeWine, for promising you're gonna sign a bill to put guns in the hands of teachers you're such a hero to the people of ohio you're listening to today in ohio The leaders of the Ohio Legislature are 100 percent to blame for the fact we need a special election for the legislature because of all of the things they did to thwart the will of the people and gerrymander the districts. So, Layla, how much of our tax dollars are they now going to use to pay for the special election that is 100 percent their fault?
3: Andrew Tobias tells us it's going to be about 20 million, Chris, to run that special primary on August 2nd. The Ohio Senate approved the extra funding on Wednesday, sending it to the House for consideration. Only Senator Niraj Antani, a a Dayton area Republican, voted no. They added it to an unrelated bill. Oh, that's the best part. Just squeeze it in there, you know? It's no big deal. Just fit it into something else they they put it into this unrelated bill awarding 422 million in federal covid relief funds to townships and other local governments just so that maybe andrew wouldn't find it there <laughs> <laughs> but andrew andrew did us the service of painfully reminding us all of the other expenses that this gerrymandering garbage has cost us including $9 million to pay for OT for elections workers and others associated with holding the May 3rd primary election. Elections workers, especially in large counties, had to work extra hours because redistricting delays ate into their time to prepare for the election. And then at least $1.3 million to pay for lawyers representing the state during the redistricting litiga- litigation. Most of that paid for Republican state legislative leaders. And then almost $100,000 paid to a bipartisan duo of outside map making experts that the commission hired at the suggestion of the ohio supreme court in in march and all of their hard work turned out to be a waste of time so cha-ching here we go another another 20 million you know, uh for this this special election that's going to be based on on gerrymandered maps
0: i I was, oh, I was talking to one of our colleagues yesterday and he was making the case that the framing of the gerrymandering story should have been framed from the start as corruption. The corruption is not always taking the public's money and putting it into rocket. This is corruption to maintain disproportionate power. And they, di- they, the the members of the the redistricting commission, did violate the constitution at every juncture, over and over again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to maintain power. And our colleague was arguing that's corruption, that, that, that we should have been looking at this much more forcefully as these are corrupt individuals, Mike DeWine and, and, and uh, Frank LaRose and Bob Cupp and Huffman, that because they didn't do what the law required, they, the gain they have is the disproportionate power so they can do things like pass laws that arm teachers. Uh, it's an interesting, yeah. interesting argument, but it might be worth a future discussion.
3: Yeah, it's interesting in hindsight when you look back and you see, you know, in the in the interim months, the things that you know, like like this, you know, like the the, the bills that we've discussed in today's program. You know. <laughs> it's it's interesting to think of it through that lens. Yeah, I, uh, our colleague is correct, and if I had one guess, I could guess which colleague. Yeah, I was. I'm not
0: saying his name because <laughs> he gets annoyed if I do that. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. We don't talk about big drug cases very often on this podcast, but. This is not your run-of-the-mill big drug case. Adam Freese reported the story. Lisa, what did he find?
1: This sounds like an episode of The Wire. A North Royalton man, 43-year-old Mark Mahoney, has been charged with leading an eight-person drug ring in the Northeast Ohio area. He is alleged to have brought cocaine from Mexico in large amounts and made about $20 million in sales to dealers. They were selling not by the little baggie. They were selling by the kilogram in various Cleveland locations, like they would meet up at a Parma Bowling Alley, Maple Heights Shopping Center, and a Cleveland liquor store to make their sales. They hid their cash and drugs in an east side uh, self-storage business and, and another one on the west side. And what they were doing is they were hiding cash in microwave ovens stashing the microwaves in these storage facilities, along with the drugs. Um, Another man who was charged, there were eight people charged. They've all been arrested in various, you know, uh, uh, times going back to uh, January. Um, So they had a, a big facility that we reported on earlier, I believe on East 60th and Carnegie, there was another storage facility at West 117th, and they were doing business out of there as well as storing their stuff. The raid on the Mahoney's home and storage facility came up with 50 pounds of cocaine, $2.4 million in cash, and a ledger that detailed transactions of buying and selling cocaine going back to 2019.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how this case grew. We thought it was interesting when we first talked about it, but wow, it is a huge drug operation. It's been running right under everybody's noses again law enforcement did a nice job bringing it all down it's some really strong work that we're seeing
1: yes and uh, all of the defendants have pled not guilty Um, this this uh, case was made by the FBI using wiretaps and surveillance over several months
0: another one where I think as time goes by we'll have a hell of a story to tell when we get all the details but it'll probably be a year before that comes together it's today in Ohio Why did the Ohio House vote to drop the requirement for kids who don't pass the third grade reading test to repeat the year? Laura, this is a John Kasich thing. Third grade reading test. We're going to guarantee every kid who leaves third grade can read. And if they don't, they have to be held back. Yeah, It's been a gimmick. It's been something that a lot of people have resisted. But it was the Ohio third grade reading guarantee. If you drop that requirement, there's no guarantee.
2: Correct. And so, you know, the cynical me, when I saw the headline, I was like, great. So we have all these kids struggling after two years of COVID and trying to get back on track. So rather than make sure they're on track, we'll just drop the guarantee and then we won't have to have these kids repeat a grade. And that is not what they're saying. Basically, they're saying that tests since Uh, 2013, when this went into effect for the fourth grade reading uh, proficiency test, haven't really changed. They haven't had meaningful or significant improvement. So the third grade reading guarantee really isn't changing how well kids can read, period. But I mean, they were getting 95% um, passage rate of this a test and they were putting a lot of effort into it. I've had two kids go through this at one point, and let me tell you, the teachers, the administrators, they are very focused on making sure that these kids are scoring proficient or above, so that they don't have to be held back. And you, you get two chances: you get the fall, you get the fall in the spring. And if you haven't passed it by the fall, they put all sorts of effort into having your kid meet, you know, with tutors and get extra help. And and so you wonder they. You don't know that that's going to go away if the guarantee goes away, but I have questions about that. Well,
0: there is damage of holding kids back. There is mental damage and social damage. And so maybe the right thing to do is to continue to do the test to find out if reading teaching is effective, but for the kids who fail, come up with a way to help them along instead of creating the stigma of holding them back.
2: I, I agree that holding kids back does not seem like a really forward-thinking idea in this day and age I guess the state went from about a 1.5 percent retention rate before or sorry like hold back rate into about five percent so it wasn't a huge number of kids and you're right that that's detrimental for their mental health and and social skills and all of that stuff but I just I feel like by putting a guarantee on it, by tell, saying how seriously the state is taking this, it made the school districts really work hard to make sure those kids could, could read. And if you take away the the stick at that point, like, is there going to be less effort on, on but, reading?
0: But isn't the rating that the school gets the stick? You know, my my wife's a teacher in Solon, and, and you know, they test lots of stuff, not just reading. Mm-hmm. And they take that really seriously, and they watch their passage rates and they, they analyze which kids might not pass it and work to give them extra instruction. Uh, so, so just trying to make the grade might be enough of a stick to, uh, without the stigma of holding the kid back. It seems like the state, you know, John Kasich liked the gimmick into, mm-hmm. we're gonna have a, a, a reading guarantee and the kids will hold back without thinking it through. It wasn't really an educator's solution to teaching reading.
3: Chris, can I ask you, how does your wife feel about standardized tests as the barometer of these kinds of things in general?
0: I'm not going to speak for her. (laughs) Those are private. Well, you brought her up. You brought her into this discussion. Conversations. (laughs) Uh, You know, Solon (laughs) is the number one district in the state. So obviously in Solon. They take this very seriously. Education is the defining characteristic of that city. People who live in Solon, their kids get educated. I mean, it, it's, I've never seen a rigor like they have there, and it's something they celebrate. A- and the way you measure success of education, you got to do testing to see how they do. But it's stressful. I, you know, I think it's stressful for parents. It's stressful for students. It's stressful for the, for the districts. Um, but I, 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 guess, I guess this all gets back to Educators should come up with the solutions for education, not legislators, yes. right? There, there are ways to teach kids to read. I mean, there are different kids with different disabilities. You need different strategies. Just saying at the end of third grade, every kid's going to read, and if they don't, we're going to hold them back. That's not the answer. That was never a good answer. The better answer is to use the latest educational strategies and well, and, and phonics, obviously, because that's back. <laughs>
3: Well, I I I happen to have a kid who is notoriously bad at standardized testing, gets lots of test anxiety, lots. And so as a parent of one of those kids, I feel like there are other ways to measure how well a child is reading and what sorts of interventions they need to meet that bar. And so, you know, to put that in the hands of the educators rather than the legislature, I think, is really important. So not just the, you know the you know the, the the plan but also the 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 measure yeah, should yeah. be designed by educators I, yeah, I, um, I think standardized testing is 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 I am so such a opponent of that of that I'm glad to see this go to be frank
0: yeah I, well, I mean I think we ridiculed it when it was created years ago and you know again it was John Kasich like to have the big the big talking point and This was this was not the greatest. And and so it's interesting that that the house has voted against it. We'll have to see if it gets dropped all all altogether. This was just the house vote. You're listening to today in Ohio. We've gone a little bit long. Good stuff to talk about today. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura, thanks Layla. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Tomorrow we'll be wrapping up the week of news.